Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the You Imagine podcast. Today on the show, Benjamin Matthew sits down with Professor Soumitra Datta, Dean and Professor of Management at Sayed Business School, University of Oxford. Professor Datta shares about his journey of founding the Global Innovation Index and how the GII has been used as a yardstick for innovation by countries across the world. He also shares his thoughts about the current health of innovation and entrepreneurship in India and how Tamil Nadu is primed to become the next big innovation hub for India. Professor Datta also gives us an exclusive sneak peek into what he will be talking about as one of the key speakers at the biggest tech and startup summit, You Imagine Chennai, happening on the 23rd through the 25th of March 2023. Hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of the You Imagine podcast. I've got a very special guest with us here today. It's none other than Professor Samitra Datta. Hi, Professor. Welcome to the show. Hello. Good. Great to be on the show. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show first and foremost. And um, you'll be at the conference speaking as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, actually. The conference uh, you know, looks like it's going to be a great event to bring together many different people from different domains. And I'll look forward to participating in it. For those of you who would be joining us on March 24th, that is day two, uh, Professor Samitra will be speaking on the path for emerging economies towards becoming innovation hubs. Um, and I personally am looking forward to be there and listening to Professor. So Professor, uh, just wanted to take a holistic approach, talking a little about you. Um, you hail from India. Um, you then went uh, abroad uh, to uh, the U.S., um, and you've studied abroad as well. Um, currently, you're with the Sayed Business School in Oxford, and you're the dean there. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I did my computer science undergraduate at Delhi, and then did my computer science PhD at Berkeley. And then I made a move which was a little unusual in those days. So I, I did my PhD in, I finished in 89, and... Um, I happened to meet my wife then in Berkeley, and she was on a Fulbright scholarship, so she had to go back to the Europe. Uh, she's from Spain, so I actually literally followed her out of love back to Europe, and uh, I wow. ended up in a school, a business school called INSEAD. So I, you know, it is a migration from computer science to business, which was quite unusual in those days, 30, 33 years ago. And I must say, the last thirty-three years have been an amazing, amazing rise of technology in business. You know, when I joined, technology was very much a back office, you know, sort of function, not strategic in any way. And really today, technology is at the heart of every business and you can't think of any business strategy, any business initiative without technology. So really in some sense, uh, it was by accident, but I ended up in a very nice spot for technology and business. I spent about 20 years in France and INSEAD, the beautiful school out there in Fontainebleau. Uh, then I went to Cornell um, in 2011, uh, helped to set up the unique campus of uh, Cornell Tech on Roosevelt Island. And that was really an initiative of Mayor Bloomberg to help create a whole digital economy in the heart of New York City. And that was fascinating because that was an attempt to try to drive innovation into the heart of New York City. And the university was at the heart of the whole effort. And in Cornell Tech, we really integrated the departments of computer science, engineering, and business. 
And that was a fascinating experience. And today also the corner of the campus is there in Roosevelt Island in New York. And many of you, if you go to New York, you know, just across the UN buildings and it's really impressive. And of course, in uh, 2022, I got an offer from Oxford and I decided to come back to Europe. So, you know, Oxford is a great institution, uh, number one university in the world. So, you know, here I am. Fantastic. Amazing that you followed love and then you fell in love with what you wanted to do in life as well. Yeah, you know, things happen, serendipity and accidents. So you got to be open to things always. And I always tell uh, my students that in life, looking back at your key moments, maybe 20% of them were planned, but 80% of them really unplanned. So essentially what it means is you have to be always open to new things that you never thought about and things come your way and you just have to be able to evaluate them, take some risks and move forward. So true. So true. Amazing. Now, um, for our listeners, I'm uh, there is something that Professor has uh, actually, I'm going to say omitted, but um, uh, it's its something that interested me significantly, and which is the fact that he's been a co-author and editor of the Global Innovation Index and the journey from its uh, inception till today. I believe even today you are part of that uh, project. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I founded the Global Innovation Index in 2007 when I was a professor at INSEAD. And, uh, you know, it was really driven by my observation that a lot of innovation that was happening was broad-based. You know, the traditional view of innovation back then was it was innovation was done by a small number of people with highly qualified degrees like PhDs and research labs and so on. And that still continues. But really what was I observed was that innovation was happening with farmers, you know, no PhD, nothing, bottom-up innovation, grassroots innovation, uh, without patents sometimes, you know, and uh, we had to try and capture the richness of innovation across society. And that's really was the driver there. Awesome. Awesome. And in that process, I'm sure there was a lot of work that went in in terms of quantifying how to uh, index it, right? Um, could you run us through some of the main... Uh, main aspects of that yeah absolutely so as i mentioned earlier the main driver was this observation or belief that innovation happens by the many not by the few and then of course the question was uh, what kind of conditions in a country or region actually enable the many to innovate and that's when we came across uh, you know we did a number of sort of expert interviews and focus groups and discussions with, you know, innovation uh, experts around the world. And I came up with this simple model of saying that, well, look, there are things that enable a country or a region to become innovative. And then there are the actual results of that innovation that observe in society. So we have the innovation model of the Global Innovation Index divided into two categories. Uh, one category is the broad set of enablers, another is the broad set of outputs the inputs and the outputs. And the inputs, you know, are multifaceted. It uh, includes uh, the institutional environment in a country, you know, for example, law and order, regulatory environments, IP, uh, respect for IP laws, and so on. Includes uh, human capital, which is very traditional, but human capital is very important inside, you know, any kind of innovation discussion. 
includes infrastructure. You know, if you don't have good infrastructure, you can do what you want, but you can't get your goods to the market. You can't actually, you know, export. There's a lot of problems are created out there. Includes uh, the sophistication of businesses and how capable are businesses to adopt innovative ideas, to absorb innovative concepts. And of course, the market sophistication, how capable are markets to support innovation? You know, can you actually access capital easily? And then on the output side, we have two categories. So one are the traditional, what I would say, technology outputs, uh, which are the, you know, deep tech, uh, digital tech uh, patterns and those kinds of uh, elements. And very important, we also have a set of outputs called creative outputs, creative sector outputs which includes a whole bunch of, you know, different things like including movies and, you know, uh, media outputs and even online outputs. So we've actually quite, um, let's say, I think forward-looking in looking at innovation more broadly. Because if, for example, society is producing a lot of content online, that reflects some kind of innovative activity and thought and creation inside the society. And uh, that's really what the Innovation Index does. It tries to capture innovation in its entirety, both factors that enable it and factors that actually are output of it. Wow. So, I, I mean, I, I love the fact that it's holistic. It's, it's not just technical innovation that you have focused on. It's also creative innovation, right? Absolutely. That's, uh, that's really fascinating. And many countries now, in fact, have... Uh, you know, adapted and modified the ways in which they view innovation. So what happened was I started this in 2007. In 2010, I had a chance serendipity meeting, you know, um, with uh, Francis Gurry, who was the director general of WIPO at that time, the World Intellectual Property Organization, Geneva, which is a UN body looking after patents and innovation. And he loved what I was describing to him I was doing. And he basically got his organization, WIPO, to adopt the GII. And so since 2011, uh, sorry, 2011 exactly, uh, WIPO is now publishing, co-publishing the report. Uh, the last three years, WIPO became the sole publisher of the report. And I still co-edit the report, but uh, it has become, through WIPO, the dominant, uh, let's say, benchmark, dominant report innovation globally, worldwide. And it has actually influenced the way countries and regions think about innovation. So, for example, uh, Costa Rica, uh, they never looked at creative services sector innovation before in the innovation thinking. So they now look at that much more creatively. Uh, look at India. Niti Aayog, you know, has adopted uh, the, in the Innovation Index and then created a customized version of that for India called the India Innovation Index, which is now used at the state level uh, just to motivate every state to become more innovative and create some healthy competition out there. Wow. So it's trickling down to the grassroots so that tangible um, action can be taken fundamentally. Absolutely. And that's actually, you know, today innovation is so critical for every economy to be competitive and to be, you know, uh, a fruitful pace for young people to, you know, stay and build their careers um, that it is quite, amazing for me to see the number of countries that have adopted the GII and is thinking. Uh, WIPO did a survey of its member countries recently last year, and about 110 member countries that responded to the survey. The respondents were 110 out of 160. And uh, of the 110, more than 70 were using the GII actively. So, you know, 
If you just project that, essentially you have more than 70% of the country using it actively. And certainly I know that India uses it actively, Brazil uses it actively, China uses it actively. Uh, and so, you know, you have a large proportion of the world's population using it. Wow. Talking about India, I want to come into the GI rank. I think India falls at 40 currently. Yeah. And um, within its income group, they lead. I mean, we lead. Exactly. Right? Um, is this a trend that you're seeing across the board that um, growing economies are actually taking on the onus to improve themselves from a technology innovation and economy perspective? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. First of all, India has progressed a lot. You know, it was in the 80s, just five years ago, and now it is you know, in the 40th rank. Uh, so very good progress. And there's a lot more to be done in India also. Um, you know, you said, the, you made the comment about growing economies that innovate. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting chicken and egg issue, you know, because you innovate to grow and as you're growing, you increase your capacity to innovate too. So it's a virtuous cycle out there. Uh, but what we are seeing is, of course, almost uh, as I gave the example earlier, you know, a large number of countries are focusing on innovation as a prime, let's say, uh, driver of growth inside the economies. But uh, digitalization, the use of deep science and deep tech are important drivers. You know, every year we, of course, we do the analysis numerically of the various countries, but we also choose a thematic approach to identifying one or two big trends in innovation. And in the 2022 edition, we essentially chose the trend of how productivity improvements are linked to the rising waves of digital tech, what I would say the next generation of digital tech. And second, the rise of deep science and you know, deep tech. So science-based deep tech innovations. And we see these uh, trends are being huge forces of change in economies that are growing. And of course, to benefit from them, you need to invest, you need leadership. So, you know, that's a lot of different elements that go into helping economies benefit from these trends. Right. And I think um, if, if I come down into Tamil Nadu as a, as a state, um, the Tamil Nadu government is actively looking at uh, positioning Tamil Nadu as the next tech and IT destination for enterprises, countries and communities, right? Um, so thereby obviously boosting uh, innovation scale. Um, they want to leverage talent that is there, the talent pool. Uh, you were talking about that as um, as a input factor the, that is there, that you need the talent pool. Um, and, and, and so... As a state, as a, a, a government, um, what would ideally be some of the things that they need to really focus on to say, okay, if I want to improve uh, innovation based on existing data we have over the last um, five, 10 years, what can now catapult that forward? Now for a quick word from our sponsors. On March 23rd, 2023, from across the world, the best from the tech industry are gathering together in Chennai, India, for an amazing event, You Imagine, where industry leaders will speak on the latest in climate tech, Web 3.0, AR and VR, AI and ML, data science, and all the latest tech trends making the rounds since our new normal. Now you can get a sneak peek into some of the speakers earlier by listening to their podcast on the You Imagine podcast right here on your favorite player. 
For more information, visit www.umaginechennai.com. Now, back to the episode. You know, it's a great question because Tamil Nadu is a great state. And by the way, you know, uh, Tamilians in general are known to be, you know, very super bright and you know, very hardworking. And so the human talent is all there in place in the state. Uh, but I think what is very important is the government leadership in helping create that context for innovation to thrive. And the whole, you know, idea of creating you imagine the whole idea of hosting it in Tamil Nadu, I think is just a sign that the government is very serious about it because all these things gives, you know, visible signals about the commitment to innovation, commitment to investing in the innovative activities in the state. Tamil Nadu already has, as I mentioned, great talent. It's got great institutions. And on Chennai, you have IIT Madras. And I know IIT Madras because, you know, I've been there as part of my IIT placements. Um, and IIT Madras has a very successful whole innovation park around it, which is, uh, you know, one of the leading examples, exactly leading examples in the country. And I think what you see is that uh, all the ingredients are there. And it is, I think, it's healthy competition that Chennai has to compete against, you know, Hyderabad and Bangalore for talent and for innovation. I think it's all healthy. And a large country like India can have multiple hubs of innovation. You know, in, in, in the U.S., you have not just Silicon Valley, you have multiple hubs of innovation. And the same way, India, I think, needs multiple hubs of innovation. And Chennai can certainly be one of them. Oh, fantastic. I mean, I, I love the optimism and I love the, the forward-looking way of saying that, you know, we should make Chennai the next hub. Um, and that's what the government, I believe, is is trying to do: bring bring in um, not just talent investment or um, technology alone, but also the ability for it to grow organically within itself. Um, as as a market, however, would you say that um, India and Tamil Nadu has the market sophistication required for that growth? Yeah, I think definitely. I think, you know, what is happening in India is that the whole environment has changed dramatically. And as you know, you know, uh, last year, I think India produced some, almost 50 unicorns. And, uh, you know, by some metrics, India is the third largest, you know, sort of innovation startup market in the world. So I think what has happened is India has benefited from a number of, you know, it's a good sort of congruence of different forces. So one is, of course, the rise in Indian you know, the basic, let's say, the environment for business in India has improved. I think that's something which is very good on the whole in the country. Uh, there is more stability in the government naturally, nationally, and also, I think, in the country as a whole. Uh, there is greater awareness of the importance of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship inside the young people in India. You know, when I talk to young people in India, no one actually just looks at getting a government job as being the you know desired goal or getting a job in a large company necessarily. But uh, a lot of the innovation, a lot of the young people are now trying to, you know, they have got a lot of role models have come up in India across across the country of young people who have built very successful enterprises. And so role modeling is very, very important. That's changed in India right now. So the aspiration levels of young people are very different. And what I find is that um, India as a whole is in a very good spot for entrepreneurship innovation. Of course, the slight, you know, let's say uh, global forces dividing the U.S. and China has also helped. Uh, so a lot of the, uh, let's say, energy that probably went into China initially is now getting diverted into India, and that's all good for the country. 
And cumulatively, I think uh, Tamil Nadu is very well placed, you know, to benefit from this because uh, I think clearly it has a very good, uh, all the good factors I mentioned earlier, you know, good uh, leadership, uh, good talent, good institutions, you know, and uh, access to the whole Indian market. Um, I was actually listening to one of your um, interviews from a couple of years ago. I heard you talking about technology adoption and how India as a country has taken on and ad adopted technology at a far superior rate than many other places. I'm not directly quoting you, but that was the gist of the comment. Literally a huge population now has a phone in their hand and they have access to the internet and things like that, right? Um, that adoption of technology, I'm sure, has changed the way um, people think and people approach innovation. Does that add on significantly towards the growth, like in a state like Tamil Nadu, uh, where yeah. the government then will also be helping by providing um, the required assistance? What I would say today is that there are two major drivers of innovation. So one is digital technologies, other is deep science, deep tech innovations. I think India has caught up on the digital side. It had, you know, lost space 10 years ago compared to China because China was ahead. But now I think India has caught up with the whole India stack and the whole, you know, uh, Aadhaar and Jam system and so on that is put into place. And I think India is now successfully, you know, launching and in a good phase of bottom-up democratic digitalization of the entire country. Uh, and that's a different way, you know, a third way different from the American and Chinese way of digitalization, digitalization in a country. And I think that's very powerful. So I think what I look at the success today, for example, of UPI and so on, uh, this is just a start. So I think what you see in India is a very rapid digitalization uh, of many different sectors with a broad participation of companies across the sector. And that will enable many new companies to also start out there. So I think both existing companies can benefit from it. Also new companies can start in the domain. I think where India needs to invest much more is in the deep tech and deep science. Uh, I don't think India invests enough in science and technology. I think there's a lot of uh, fundamental research that is happening right now in material science and nanotechnology and, you know, and, and, and biotechnology and so on. And these sort of technologies are going to change completely the landscape of what's going to happen in the future. Because the future is going to be a convergence of three big uh, revolutions. You know, one is the digital revolution. Uh, the second is the physical revolution, which is the whole uh, additive manufacturing and manufacturing as bits and bytes. And the third is the biological revolution, where you have the whole biology, you know, systems being coded as, you know, as, uh, as bits and bytes and being reprogrammed. So the combination of the digital, physical, and the biological are massive moves. And I think India needs to invest much more on the physical and on the biological side. And that requires a lot more deep science, deep research in uh, multiple areas in, in the leading institutions of the country. So true. Coming down to, you imagine, Chennai 2023. Um, I know you've got something really special for everyone to listen to on day two, but is there a, a sneak peek on what you would be talking about that you would like to share with uh, everyone out there? You know, essentially what is happening right now is that uh, emerging markets are no longer just followers. Uh, emerging markets have now taken on the role of leaders. 
And uh, this, of course, the best exponent of that is China. You know, China is leading in many, many areas of technology and other kinds of innovations. India is catching up and India is also leading in some areas. But increasingly, what you're finding is that um, a lot of innovations are coming in emerging markets. And whether it's in India and China and Asia, whether it's, uh, you know, in Brazil or whether it's in Africa also in some areas, you know, for example, mobile payments, you know, Africa was a leader till recently in mobile payments, you know, even if you compare developed markets. So I think emerging markets are becoming important hubs of innovation in their own rights. And I think it's important for us to A, stimulate that trend. I think you have to encourage more of that. And B, uh, create environments in which we can learn from each other. Uh, I think there's a lot of innovation that, of course, happens in transfer of knowledge from, you know, north-south, so, you know, from U.S. to India. But guess what? There might be a lot of innovation that uh, India can also learn by, you know, transferring them from the south to south. Uh, and I think there's a lot of innovation that India and other emerging markets can create that can be better suited for the emerging market conditions. You know, if we have products that are better suited in India, they might be better suited for example, Africa too. And in some sense, that really gives emerging market innovators the lead in the future because innovator in America or in Europe may not be as well, you know, sort of adapted to the needs of emerging markets in Africa and Asia as an innovator in India or China might be. Now, small details like, you know, Chinese phone manufacturers, they've gained so much uh, market share in Africa not just because um, you know they have cheap prices or good quality, but also they have adapted the product to specific you know features. Like for example, you know, Africans are darker in color, and a lot of the images that are produced out there by African by the Chinese phone companies actually automatically lighten the pictures. You know, and that's something that the local population likes to see, and probably can relate to that in India too. So what I'm just trying to say is that there are lots of small, small variations, small adaptations that can make a big difference for emerging markets. And emerging market uh, you know, suppliers can actually be very good adapters in that, in that process and innovators in the process. Right. Um, I have a question which is kind of out there, um, but I'm going to ask that in any case. Um, you're currently dean of one of the top business schools in the world. Uh, you come from a technology background as well, um, having studied in IIT Delhi. What advice would you give young aspiring entrepreneurs or tech, tech professionals looking to make a mark in Tamil Nadu's technology industry? Yeah, the advice that I can give is, you know, the best one is be inspired. If you're not inspired, you will never aim for the moon. Okay, So really, in some sense, inspiration is the most important thing of being an entrepreneur. Second is the desire to take risks because naturally, I think this is an issue in India traditionally, but now I think it's changing. Uh, people are risk averse and that's a generic sort of issue that I think a lot of young people do not take enough risks in their career. I think you, when you're young, you have to take risks and you never know actually how they will turn out. I told you 80% of what happens in your life is an unplanned for is serendipity is risky, you know, decisions you make. Uh, and if and then the best time to take risk is when you're young. You know, you know you don't want to take a lot of risk when you're 40s and 50s, you know, and you have a family and a mortgage. So I think taking risk is another second thing. And the third thing really is you know just being stubbornly resilient and persistent, not giving up because you know uh, 
the story of the Facebook success is an exception. The exception that proves the rule. You know, no one actually has success the first time around, you know, in two or three years. You know, it normally multiple times, multiple efforts, and then you succeed in one of them. So I think the resilience not to give up. So I think, you know, that's what I would give advice to young people in Tamil Nadu. And I think, you know, there's no reason why they cannot come up with the next uh, innovative idea, you know, that comes out of uh, Tamil Nadu because you have a huge domestic market and huge markets actually are big enablers for innovation. Uh, you have a growing population. You have, uh, you know, a lot of good technologies in many ways right now, good infrastructure in many ways right now. And so I think all the conditions are right. You know, it's a great time to be young in India right now. Yeah, and I think the majority population is also below um, 35 at this point in time. Yeah. So there's a huge workforce as well. So um, coming to my final question, um, you're coming down for, you imagine, Chennai 2023. You... As Professor Saumitra, not as Dean of Said Business School, but you as an individual, what is that one thing you're looking forward to when you hit the event? Oh, the same as what I said earlier. I'm looking to be inspired myself, you know, even though I'm much older now. You know, you always seek inspiration. And that's one reason I love interacting with young people and young entrepreneurs because, you know, they're doing such amazing things and, uh, you know, it's inspiring. Uh, for me to actually interact with them. So yeah, the simple answer is I'm looking to get inspired myself and learn from others. That brings us to the end of this episode of the You Imagine podcast. We want to take this time to thank our guest, Professor Samitra Datta, Dean and Professor of Management at Syed Business School for taking time to come on the show. Benjamin Matthew for hosting the show and the You Imagine team for their support. A special mention to Arun Joseph, Subash and Charles for their post-production work on this episode. Make sure you tune in to the next episode of the You Imagine podcast.